As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. I'm Joelle Steininger. I'm Matt Goldman. And I'm Michael Saka. Today, we talk to Josh Annan, the co-founder and CEO of Visioneer Studios and ex-cinematographer at Pixar. Um, so guys, what did you think about this conversation? I loved it personally because I love talking about storytelling. That's just something I'm really into. But what I thought was unique about him is that usually when you talk about things like that, it's very abstract and kind of out there. And he found a way to make it really tangible and applicable really to what everyone's working on. And after talking to him, I actually felt like I would be better if I sat down and, and tried to tell my story to someone. Yeah, and beyond it being a fun chat, just talking to someone who is in tech somewhat, but also has a really cool story outside of tech, it was cool to learn about 
the whole film industry and then also about how he how he thought that we could bring storytelling into startups at different phases throughout the process how do you use storytelling to talk to investors how do you use it to pitch your product it was really interesting yeah and i like how he broke down the different elements of a story which i think really helps because you can tell a story in many different ways but he had this kind of framework that he talks about where you're painting the picture and he, he brings you through how do you create the same type storytelling that Pixar uses to get you involved in your elevator pitch. And I think this would be incredibly helpful for anyone. So let's get into it. We'd like to take a moment to thank our awesome sponsors. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. Go to CodeShip.com slash Rocketship to get 20% off three months. We'd also like to thank Envision app. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. I can personally say I can't imagine delivering another design comp without it. Go to envisionapp.com forward slash rocketship and sign up to get their starter plan free for 90 days. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io slash rocketship to start sending emails that convert. Tell us a bit about what you're working on now. Right now, I'm working on starting my own company. And the quick pitch is that we're trying to be the Pixar of live action. And it always makes me cringe just a hair to say that because that sounds so arrogant. But there's two factors that go into it. One is that I was at Pixar for about 10 years and then my co-founder is an ex-Pixar writer. So we have a lot of kind of Pixar team members in this project. The second thing is that Pixar is the only studio that has consistently created successful content. And Ed Catmull in his book, Creativity Incorporated, talks a lot about this and kind of some of the ideas and thoughts they have internally. And we're working on adapting those thoughts and ideas to live action filmmaking, where we think there's a really good market opportunity to continuously create successful content. So I mean, the core of it is that we believe in great stories, and we believe that all stories should be great. So we want to make some great stories. And you guys have kind of developed a framework, right, to take to live action that also saves money in the production to ensure that you get a great story? Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of different goal or different uh, benefits that we believe this process has, ranging from if you think about when you watch a DVD and you see all those extra deleted scenes that are on the DVD, well, if you knew what the movie that you were really trying to make before you went and shot it, you wouldn't have had to spend money shooting scenes that you're going to delete anyway. So part of what we're doing involves figuring out like what the heck is the movie you're making in a low-cost, high-fidelity way before you actually go make it, which helps get everybody on the same page. It helps production run more smoothly, and ultimately it should save you money and result in a better product. Does this involve like user testing? Are you making quick trailers and showing them to an audience, or what does that look like? A little bit. I mean, if you've watched, a big part of the process is if you've watched behind the scenes on a... You know, actually, let me back up one second. So probably a lot of the audience right now doesn't know how movies are made. And since you have a pretty technical audience, let me try to give you a code analogy. So the way movies are made is that you have a script, and that's kind of like your code. But the difference is you've never hit compile or done any debugging on this code. You just have the code there on the page. And you shop that code around and you say, give me some money and let me press compile. And we have a theory that people are going to want this, but we've never really reached out and seen, like, is somebody going to want to use the app that I'm building right now? So you eventually convince some people to give you money and now you press compile 
And then you discover that you have maybe some compiler errors, and then maybe once you move past those, you'll eventually find that you have some runtime errors too. That's kind of like reshoots. It's, hey, we went and we spent the bulk of our money, and we shot our movie, and now we've put it together visually, and we're testing it with an audience, and we see that there's just issues. Like, there's pacing issues. Maybe parts of the story are confusing. Uh, The audience just doesn't like it as much as they could. Or maybe the audience even looks and is like, I don't want to see a movie about something like this. So then you have to convince people to give you a little bit more money to do what are called reshoots to try and fix those problems. It's sort of like saying, well, you invested $10 million in me to hit compile on this code. Now, if you give me an extra 2 to $3 million, then we'll actually go try debugging some of these things. And we're probably not going to be able to debug everything with that 2 to $3 million, but we'll do the best we can. And then we'll see if somebody wants it. So really what we're doing is applying ideas from animation and from software, too, where you're trying to achieve product market fit and you want to have a minimum viable product that you iterate on a bit. We're applying those ideas to filmmaking. So you do an awesome talk on storytelling for startups. And I'd love to to kind of start at why do startups need to tell stories? Yeah. Stories are fundamental to who we as human beings are. They're the way that information has been communicated. Studies have consistently shown that our brains are actually wired to respond to story. A great example is some scientists have done some brain imaging where they had people just read kind of bulleted marketing copy on a website. And they saw that the areas in our brain that respond to language were lighting up. But when they gave those same people stories and doing the same brain scans, their entire brain was lighting up. Like they found that the, the listeners could picture themselves as the hero in the story, and they became far more engaged mentally in the information they were receiving. We even remember stories better than basic facts. I mean, one of the examples I use in my talk is uh, I asked people how much of the country voted for Obama in the last election. I mean, this is a big, major event. The president of the U.S., it's relatively recent. And uh, usually after some hemming and hawing, people get kind of close, but nobody knows the exact number. But then I show them a picture of the car from Ghostbusters, and I say, what's the name of this car? And everybody gets it very quickly. It's like, well, Ghostbusters is 30 years old. So we remember a minor detail from a 30-year-old story better than a, a big detail in a very important event that just happened a few years ago. The next bit is that in good stories, change is absolutely fundamental to story. So if you think about Harry Potter, if Harry Potter were to start and say, uh, Harry, you know, he's this kind of hated sort of adopted son in this family who lives under the staircase and he receives an invitation to Hogwarts and he decides not to go and his life just kind of keeps going as it is and he's hated and eventually he dies. It's not an interesting story. Nobody wants to hear that. Instead, by introducing change, Harry leaves this environment, he goes to Hogwarts, that's where we have a good story that propels us further and the same is true of every other aspect in the story. Like it moves forward when you have change. When you're working on a startup, the very fundamental thing you're going to believe in is that you want to change something. You want to be entrepreneurial. You want to make a difference. So you need to think about things in a story structure. Specifically, Robert McGee, who's who wrote a book called Story and has been one of the kind of recent authorities about how good stories are structured, he says that you start with a world in stasis. 
think about Google for a second years ago. It's like the internet is emerging and there are tools out there that index the web and provide some sort of search system or some sort of like, here's our rankings about important things. And then we throw the world out of balance. So you guys at Google say, you know, we have a way to do this better. And it's this crazy idea, but we think it's going to work. So we're going to go work on this. And then the rest of the story is about restoring balance. So ending up with a way to search the internet again, which in their case happens to be better than what everybody else is doing. That's a story. And it's startups. Plenty of other places story applies to, but that's kind of the big broad stroke. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So what are the circumstances or what are the different stories that a startup might need? And as a founder, you would want to prepare for. Yeah. The most fundamental story, the fundamental application of story that startups are going to encounter is your pitch. So you're working on this crazy idea, and you need to explain to somebody else what you're working on. This is where one of the key lessons comes into play, and it's think about who your audience is and tailor the story for them. For example, when I'm pitching my, my film project to my parents, I'll say it differently than when I'm pitching it to somebody who's in the film industry. Or when I was telling you about it earlier, because I know a lot of the audience is technical, I talked about using code as an analogy. But if I were to talk to somebody who's, let's say, an English major, they probably wouldn't understand what compile and runtime error means, so I wouldn't explain it in the same way. Second place story comes into play is when you're actually developing your product. What's really useful is to keep in mind your user, the customer. He is now the hero. Like, he, uh, Simon Sinek has a great talk about focus on the why, so why do companies do what they do, and that's actually kind of the theme of the story. And that comes down to understanding the user's needs and desires, and how is your product going to make the customer's life better? And if you think about your product in that fashion, and you're really able to write your user stories from, the, from a customer perspective, all your feature prioritization is going to fall out. You're going to realize what are the key things that are going to make their life better. And it might be very different than something that you're arguing about from like an engineering standpoint internally. Third place is actually something crazy, and it's the environment that you're in. So placemaking is a form of storytelling too, like the environment around you. If you think about it, for most of your listeners, you're probably in an environment where you want to spark some creativity. You want people trying new solutions, coming up with some great ideas to help implement and execute your brand new awesome product that the world has never seen before. But a lot of the startup environments you see or even corporate environments are not very conducive to creativity. Think about your typical startup now where you have just rows of tables in an open floor plan and people sitting there. That's not much different than a cube farm where everything is the same and uniform. And if you're encouraging that sameness and that uniformity, it's kind of the opposite of creativity and thinking different. Think about like 
the kindergarten classrooms that you used to be in where you were coming up with all sorts of crazy ideas and drawing things and making stuff out of Play-Doh, they looked wildly different than a lot of corporate environments look. So the place that you're in can even tell a story too. Yeah, as you're talking, I can't help but think about the whole jobs to be done movement, which is, I hate to say the word trendy, but it is getting (laughs) trendier in startups as it should be because I think that there's a lot of merit to it. But it really is around the same idea of story. And it's not as much about like, I'm building this so that you can do this. It's more like, here's the story of a person. And, you know, here's the experiences that they're having, some of which you may think are irrelevant to what you're building. But you kind of piece that story together in order to figure out how to get them from A to B or or solve their problem better. It really is all around storytelling. Right marketers have actually known this for years. I mean, if you look at ads, uh, in my talk, I use an example of a Mr. Clean ad. You start off by setting up the world a little bit. You show like, hey, here's this woman who's about to go clean the bathroom. Her kind of state of the world is that it's really tough to do this and it requires some warm-up exercises and wearing gloves, but she's about to do it and suddenly we have the inciting incident. Mr. Clean shows up with his new product. And now they go clean the bathroom and they discover that it's much easier. She doesn't need the gloves. She doesn't have to do warm-up exercises. And then the happy conclusion is that this product makes her life better because now she has more time to spend with her children. It's like less about selling the product at the end of the day and more about selling that dream. Yeah, and lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, Apple is actually probably one of the best examples of this. I mean, I know everybody loves using Apple as an example, and it's been overdone in so many ways, but that's because they do it well. If you think about it, they're not sitting there like, hey, we have a computer that we're selling you, and it's great. It's sort of, our stuff just works, and it works well, and it just kind of gets out of the way and lets you do all the stuff you're trying to do. Back in college, I did residential tech support in the this was around the time of like Windows 2000 and Windows Me, if everybody remembers that beautiful product. It was always funny because I'd go to other people's dorm rooms and I'd be spending hours fixing PCs and removing viruses and all that stuff. And I'd come back to my room and breathe a sigh of relief because I had a Mac on my desk and it just worked. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Like iOS 8 just came out, right? And you saw people complaining about it on Twitter because there were a bunch of bugs in it that made it so it didn't work and it just didn't get out of the way. And like these bugs were front and center and that makes you not like it because you're so used to this gets out of the way and lets me focus on me. Mm -hmm. So if I was going to sit down and write a story, what are some of the essential elements that I need to hit? Like what, what is the cadence of that story that I should be thinking about? Yeah, so... What type of story are you talking about here? My startup story. Like probably probably one of the, I guess, one of the simple, simpler forms of, of the storytelling. But, you know, I want to tell my startup story, but I want to get people engaged. Okay. And who's the audience that you're telling it to? Probably our customers. The very first thing here is I asked you who the audience was because that's going to affect the framing for everything else. If you're talking to the customers... You don't want to talk about how you're going to make money, but if you're talking to an investor, you do. So the second bit is you need to remember that you're not the hero of the story. Your customer is the hero. So we need to sit down and flesh out, like, who is the customer? What are their needs? What are their desires? And for you as a startup with a product, what is it that your product's providing that's going to make their life better? 
And then we need to sit here and think about kind of a future world. So essentially writing the user story that people like to skip in product specs about a year from now, when your customer has this product in hand, what's their life going to be like? How are they going to use the product to make things better? More specifically, how are they going to use the product to make their life better? So broad strokes, we're going to start off with what's the world like without your product? So what are they doing now? What's the problem that they have? The next thing is, what does your product bring to the table? What's it going to let them do better, easier, more efficiently, remove some pain point that they have right now? Also think about what new pain points might this introduce? Like what are the side effects of switching to your product going to have in this story? Stories, it's actually really useful to address negative things. Like if story is just all rosy, we don't necessarily believe it. Think about those PR releases you read where it just feels like it's corporate spin on something. It doesn't talk about anything bad. Like if you don't believe it, why do you expect anybody else to believe it? There's something good in overcoming challenge and overcoming struggle. So you might even be telling a story where it's in the first version. There's going to be this extra step you need to do here, but we know that that's pain. So we're going to deal with that in the future. And then hopefully you kind of get to a nice conclusion in your story where it's sort of look at how my product lets you, the customer, the hero of the story, be more awesome. That's um, And then how do you tell that story? Like, do I just write it down? Do you have any me- methods that you use to kind of get these stories out of, of people? When you ask that, do you mean like if I were sitting down and working with you and like how would we come up with this together? Or do you mean like how would you present the story to somebody else? Do you have any techniques that you use? Like, say I want to make a landing page, right? But I don't want to just make headers and then fill in. I want to know what I'm doing. So do you sit down and write that story out from, from start to end and, and, and work it until you're satisfied with it, till it's pleasant to read? So when I've worked with other people, and also, heck, just as I've been working on my own thing with my startup... I really sit down by asking questions like, why are we doing this? What are the important things that matter? Like, what are the key things that we want to focus on? And then how can I spin this a little bit? And I don't mean spin as in like marketing spin. I mean spin as in like, what am I framing as the most important to bring to the forefront? So early on, when you asked me about what I'm doing with my company, I said, we believe that stories define us, stories should be great. And we think all short or all stories should be great. Like that's kind of the forefront of why are we doing this? What's our theme? So right now we're actually putting together a pitch video and the plan is to send this out to different investors. It'll be behind a password, but the copy on the page is just a couple sentences, but it leads with that sentence to try and engage people. So really, I guess it comes down to the most engaging, the most fundamental thing, the piece that in whatever context you're working in is going to resonate with your customer the most, that's what's first. And then it kind of comes down to what's the medium, what's your goal in here? It's like if you're just working on a website, I think there's a lot to be said for set up your average customer, like create somebody who the person viewing this page is going to be able to resonate and relate to. This person of kind of now their guide through the story and walk them through like, how is this going to make you better? And even if you don't explicitly say, here's Sally and she's the customer for this product, you can keep that in the back of your head as you're framing up 
how do you want to present information? Like what's the relevant stuff in what order? How did you guys test stories at Pixar? Was it a round table or did you show it to random samples of people? How did you guys know when you hit on a good one? I think there's a mix of things. The core bit comes down to people and having a small group of people where you trust their judgment. One of Pixar's ideas is that ideas can come from anywhere. So there are times where pitches are open to everybody in the store in the studio. I mean, a friend of mine from the layout department directed the blue umbrella. And that's a fairly technical department, it's actually the least technical of the technical departments, but that's not the typical person that you would expect to be coming up with an idea and directing the next movie. The second one is, as the process moves along, there's kind of a lot of testing and prototyping and seeing where things are. And some of that definitely starts with the script, but then it moves on to seeing the storyboards. So the entire company will sit down and watch the movie in the storyboard form that you can see online and see in the DVDs and see, does this work? So there's a translation that happens from script to screen, from written to visual, that you can't actually capture unless you've done it visually. And then really, there's a lot of notes and there's a lot of feedback. One of the biggest points with notes is that you'll get literal notes like, boy, I I really just didn't like this thing right here. And as the story creator, your job is to kind of be meta and to think about, well, why is that person giving that note? Or what's the broader context of this? Because usually just fixing the specific details people give notes about doesn't actually address whatever the fundamental problem is. I think some of that applies to products too, where it's like, if somebody's complaining that this part is really slow, yeah, maybe it's slow, maybe you should fix it, but maybe there's a broader bit about like, is the workflow the right workflow for the product? And that's really kind of a gut call at that point. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we're humans and we're building these things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that gut is often hard to trust, but it sounds like even at Pixar, they're still kind of relying on that gut instinct. One of the ideas that Pixar does well and that Ed talks about in his book is protecting the new. This is one thing that actually we lose a lot in corporate culture in that startups have done a good job of maintaining and fostering I've actually been reading, oh boy, I need to find the title of this for you. Part of, part of the title is about rainforest, and it's essentially talking about startup culture and why all these attempts to create different startup cultures in other cities have failed. Like The book opens with the example that Chicago and San Diego have almost the exact same economic circumstances. And like if anything, Chicago's there's more money for higher education along engineering in Chicago. But San Diego has a good startup culture and Chicago doesn't. Why isn't that? And one of the points is that you really need to protect the new and not be afraid of new ideas. And if you think about your average kind of corporation, People have sort of by-the-book routines, and they have kind of the the inside-the-box thinking they want. And if somebody gives you something crazy, usually the first thing somebody does is shoot it down and dismiss it. But if you shoot it down and dismiss every single crazy idea, you're never going to get like, gee, maybe I can fit a computer into something really thin that fits into my pocket and lets me make phone calls too. You're not going to get essentially a a self-aware driving trash compactor that falls in love with another robot, you're not going to get some really great stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. Wow, that's cool. So, well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. Where can we keep up with you online? So my website, joshannon.com, is always a good place. Twitter is also a good place, just at Josh Annan. I'm starting to put together with a couple other people kind of more formal story for business and story for startup resources. And one of the first things we're doing is sort of just a linked list of here's some really great things you should check out. It's not ready yet, but I'll let you know what it is so we can always retroactively update the page too. Yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today. Mm-hmm.